Proverbs chapter 3. We, as David was saying, we are starting our new series called uh, God's Wisdom. It's about the wisdom books in the Bible. Let me explain. Um, because this week's going to be just more of an intro on the subject of wisdom. Next week, Bob is going to do, it's going to be quite different, it's going to be quite a practical week. You're going to get us working, aren't you? We're going to find, he's going to teach us a new way of dwelling in God's word, how to immerse ourselves in a portion of scripture. He'll be taking us through a particular psalm, he'll tell us which one next week. Just help us dwell more deeply in scripture. And then we're going to continue for the following nine weeks, looking at uh, three particular books of the Bible, which can often sometimes get missed. And so we're keen to remember that all Scripture is God-breathed. And that's why we did our small letter, our little letters, big truths um, in the early part of the summer. Now we're going to look at these wisdom books. Because as we learned last week, when the children and teens took over last Sunday morning, they taught us all about loving the Bible, didn't they? Knowing the Bible and knowing the author. And we learned that the Bible is made up of 66 different books. The word Bible effectively means book, but effectively means it's a library. In fact, in the Middle Ages, the Bible was called the Divine Library. That's what it was called. And uh, there's 66 books in this library's collection, all revealing the true nature of who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. And there are five types of books. Out of those 66 books, they're in five categories. The first is the history and the law. It's mainly the kind of the first large portion of, the, of what we call the Old Testament. The first large chunk of the Bible is the history and the law books. Um, and the later part of the Old Testament are the, are the prophets. When God was, it got written down what God was saying to his people and other nations through human beings, through the prophets. Those letters, those books are called the prophets. History and law, the prophets. There's also the gospels, right at the beginning of the New Testament. You've got the four gospels. They're basically the biographies of Jesus when he walked this earth. Um, and they've also got in the latter part of the New Testament of the Bible is um, the letters from church leaders writing to the church. And right in the middle of the Bible, there's a chunk of five books called the poetry books or the wisdom books. And they are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And we're going to focus for this series primarily on three of those. Mainly on Proverbs with some Job and some Ecclesiastes popping up over the coming weeks. We're not going to focus on Psalms simply because they pop up all the time. They're an easy go-to, and they're brilliant, and they're, they're amazing. The lamentations in them, and the sung worship in them, and stuff like that, they pop up a lot in our teaching and just regular worship times in church anyway. And Song of Solomon needs its own series. Uh, <laughs> if you've read it, you'll know why. Um, it's about romance, it's about sex, it's about how to love God's way. It's brilliant, uh, but it needs its own <laughs> key focus. Maybe we'll do a series one day, who knows. But we'll park that one to one side because it's a little bit unique. It's got a certain particular flavour. But we're going to look at uh, Job, Proverbs particularly, and Ecclesiastes. If you're not familiar with those, let me just bring you up to speed on a little headline on what those books are. Job um, is most likely the um, oldest book in the Bible. Job likely lived about 2000 BC. It's probably 4,000 years old, that story. So it's the oldest book um, in the Bible, and it's the story of Job. And like I say, more of that will be coming up in some coming weeks. But it deals with the big um, questions about suffering and calamity, and within that context, it's asking the question, but is God still good? And uh, we'll, we'll explore that in a few weeks' time. That's the book of Job. The uh, book of Proverbs, um, written by King Solomon, King David's son who succeeded the throne was King Solomon, and he wrote it. And it's the book of Proverbs, it's, it's, there's some large chunks, passages that, that flow on their own. There's also lots of little one-verse kind of maxims, idioms of godly wisdom. And it's all about godly character. And the whole book of Proverbs, it doesn't allow us to separate human attempts at being good 
away from walking with God. It says, it says actually, if you want, want to leave, live a fulfilled and flourishing life, you're only ultimately going to find that by walking with God. That's what it all points to. If the Proverbs can get taken out of context, you go, oh, I just must try harder in that area. But as we'll explore over the coming weeks, it's not as simple as that. It, the overarching headline of the book of Proverbs is that those who are truly pure of heart are those who are walking with God. So we'll find out a bit more about that later. And the third one is the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, again, written by King Solomon. The very first verse says, these are the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. He's referring to himself quite explicitly there. King Solomon also wrote this. And again, this book, it deals with the big questions of life, mainly one in particular. What's the point? What it asks. What's the point of all this? And it examines the possibility of a life without a good God. What if there was no good God involved here? What would this life look like? And it turns out to be pretty meaningless. And throughout King Solomon, he wants to teach the younger generations his own hard-earned lessons, really, so that they too can avoid the errors that he's made in his own life. So we'll explore some of that. We're going to use these three books over coming weeks to all to discover God's wisdom. And today, like I said, number one is the intro. We're just going to explore the subject of wisdom itself. We're going to look at the first eight verses of Proverbs 3 and then one other verse after that. Um, Just to explain the word wisdom. The word wisdom, to be wise, doesn't mean to be brainy. Okay, having... um, um, many people seek knowledge today. We're, we're in what is called the information age, aren't we? Information ever. We've all got information on tap, thanks to Uncle Google, haven't we? It's all right there. Um, but having lots of information, having lots of knowledge does not make you wise. They are two very different things. <coughs> As you've probably heard before, knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are a fruit. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put tomatoes in a fruit salad very different. To put it another way, knowledge is knowing what a sleeping pill does. Knowledge is knowing what a laxative does. Wisdom is knowing not to take them at the same time. (laughs) It's different. Do you like that? I thought Bob would like that in particular. Knowledge is about the facts. Wisdom is about knowing what to do with those facts. Um, History has celebrated wisdom. History has lifted up wise men and women over the centuries as people to revere, to learn from, to aspire to be like. People like Socrates and Plato, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela. Jesus gets included in that list, of course, doesn't he? And we even love film characters who don't appear to be typically wise, but they nevertheless become loved for spouting wisdom almost accidentally. We love those kind of naive characters who don't realise they're they're unconsciously, unconsciously wise along the way. People like Forrest Gump. So if you've seen the film, stupid is as stupid does. Yeah, that's, that's quite insightful, actually. Or is it, what did he also say? Mama said there's only so much... I'm going to stop the accent. Ma, Mama said there's only so much fortune a man really needs, and the rest is just for showing off. That's quite insightful. There's a lot of wisdom there, isn't there? But wise sayings, while proving to certainly be an intelligent view on life, they still don't tell us where it comes from. Or where to find it? What is the most reliable means of discovering wisdom? How can we become wise? Some people just have it naturally. Some people just have a natural way of thinking. But there's still a limit. So where where can we be sure we're getting true wisdom? Well, Job himself asks in, in the book of Job, chapter 28, verse 12, he literally asks, where shall wisdom be found? There's the, um, if you heard of the serenity prayer, 
I think it's used in recovery groups, Alcoholics Anonymous and that. Those of us that have done, a few of us in the room have done the steps course. Every week we pray the serenity prayer. And right the, off the bat, that says God. It's praying to God. Some people use it as a higher power in our context, didn't we? We use it as, uh, about praying to God. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. It's got, God, will you give me the wisdom I need here to know how to step forward? So recognising it comes from God. And these books that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks will demonstrate yet again that true wisdom is found by walking with God. Because the, uh, the writings of the prophets that come after these wisdom books, they, um, they, they um, tell us how to flourish by following God in faithfulness. But here too, even these wisdom books, they're, they're quite prophetic in their own way. Because in the same way, they tell us how to flourish by running after God in how we live. Uh, and, and also that not doing so hurts us and hurts others. We soon discover there's a prophetic wisdom coming through here. This isn't just man's wisdom, this is God's wisdom. So let's read the first eight verses of Proverbs chapter 3. Hopefully you're already there now. and They come up on the screen as well. It says this, this is Solomon speaking. He says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you'll find favour and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And then one more verse, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So first and foremost, right in the middle of that chapter 3 portion we've just read, in verse 5, there's this over-warning against going astray. It says, do not lean on your own understanding. Because that's often the tendency, isn't it? Uh, Solomon's not saying that all human thought is stupid. He's not saying it's, it's nothing. Through God's grace, people can gain some degree of wisdom about how to live in the world without his direct help. It, that, by God's grace, that's, that's possible. Many people who don't know God know how to manage their money well. People who don't know God uh, are able to respond positively in difficult situations sometimes or even walk through tragedy with resilience and dignity. That is possible. By God's grace, that happens. But it's saying that our own understanding and the things that we learn aren't completely useless. In fact, Solomon here, he's passing his own insights to his son. He says, my son, do not forget my teaching. He's saying, here's what I've learned the hard way. Take it from me. Even common sense would have told Eve, in Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning, common sense would have told Eve to listen to the eternal God rather than a talking snake. Really? Really boils down to it. Common sense isn't rubbish, it's a gift. But, 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 Solomon is saying that if common sense is all the foundation that you have, that you rely on, you're on very shaky ground. That's what he's saying. He says, don't rely on your own understanding, but trust in God with all your heart. Follow him. Because otherwise, there are, there are consequences to that. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, says, There is a way that seems right to a man but its end 
is the way to death. It might look and feel right, but it doesn't mean it is right. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Just because something looks and feels right, how can we know for sure it's a safe bet? We're here in chapter 3, verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Our paths, our journeys through life, they get straightened by him being our destination and our guide along the way to get there. He knows how to find him. Um, that's when we know it's the safest bet. Either because it will work out as we'd hoped it will, or even if it doesn't work out as we'd hoped, we learn that he has something to teach us for allowing us to walk that way and that we were safe in his hands all the time anyway. Still the safest place to be. But, therefore, we do have to be listening, we do have to be learning, we do have to be following for that to happen. And that's where we come unstuck sometimes, don't we? We're not always listening. We're not always learning. Not my my mum, a few years ago, she is when they were still living in Croydon, that's where we came from, when they were still in Croydon, my mum went to travel down to Seven Oaks to visit a friend who used to be at their church. And basically, it's on the map, it's down, right a bit, down a bit, just there in West Kent. So she drove from Croydon to Seven Oaks, got there okay, had a lovely time. On the way home, she plugged home in the sat-nav and then started following the instructions and headed up and she just had to go up, do a left on the, on the M25 and then back up into Croydon. It's quite a little dog leg. Oh no. My mum took the other direction of the M25 and going away from where she should have been and uh, sat now going, at the next junction, do a U-turn. You need to turn around. You need to turn around. And she went, that's ridiculous. I know my way home. I know what I'm doing. So she passed that junction. And he goes, at the next junction, turn around. You need to do a U-turn. You're going the wrong way. She goes, this is ridiculous. She's just trying to come up with some clever way to get me home. And just, I, want to keep, I want to keep to the simple route. And she kept ignoring it. And it wasn't until she'd gone through the Dartford Tunnel and ended up in Essex that she realised she was 20 miles in the wrong direction and maybe she should have been listening and paying attention and doing what it told her to. We may think we know better, don't we? But how many times have we chosen a path that we've later come to regret and we hadn't been listening to wise counsel or even sought it in the first place? We can ignore the sat-nav or not even effectively have it turned on in the first place, thinking we know better. Listening to God's guidance leads us in a straight line to him the one who keeps us safe, the one uh, who gives us a journey that will keep us at peace and will avoid traps and snares and pitfalls and so on. So we'll look, before I end, we'll, we'll look more closely at kind of how we can do so. Um, but while we're here, let's just um, note the finer details of the benefits because Solomon here does point out um, the, the flourishing life that seeking the Lord first does bring us, actually. This is in verse 2. Um, about length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Talking about this will give you a long and peaceful life. That's what he says. Learning biblically to season our speech, to conduct friendships or how we do marriage and business with grace and forgiveness and repentance and generosity and so on. Going against the grain sometimes of, of what we want to do or what other people think we should do. That reaps a more peaceful life. It really does. It pays off. I'm sure we've got plenty of testimonies here. Following God's way of how to conduct relationships does bring a comparatively more peaceful life. And studies do show that Christians do gain years in life expectancy. There was one study in America showed it was up to four years, somewhere up to seven years as an average life expectancy because there were people of faith, but particularly people who were Christian. 
And that's then been pushed to one side because, yeah, but that's a rich nation where they've got a different access to healthcare. There's other studies I found in India, for example, where they don't have that kind of privilege and availability for decent diet and living conditions and still being Christians adds years to their life expectancy. It really does. It does something to our biology because we have a different innate peace the more we seek God. It does something to our stress levels and to our health and so on. It doesn't mean you're immune to everything, but it does make a difference. And that's what Solomon has recognised. He also talks about in verse 4, talks about it brings you favour and success. What does he mean by that? When he's saying favour, he's not talking about us being people pleasers and everybody loves you or sucking up to them or anything like that. But for example, the early church, you see see at the end of Acts chapter 2, it said that they had won favour amongst all the people simply because of their character. People people go, there's something about you that's actually okay. There's something, yeah, it wins some degree of favour. And when he's talking about success, he's not talking about houses and cars and money in the bank. He's not talking about that. Again, he's talking about a reputation for being wise and dependable. This is a successful reputation, if you like. It does bring that. And then verse 8, he talks about healing and refreshment, doesn't he? Now again, like I just already said, that, it doesn't mean you won't face sickness or calamity. Living God's way doesn't give you an invisible force field that kind of protects you from what it means to be still living in a broken world. It's not what you're saying here. But it does mean that faithfully putting God first leads you into a place that is more nurturing and protective. That's what Solomon recognises. Seeking the Lord brings these benefits because he knows what's best for us. So, how can we walk in God's wisdom? How can we do this? Well, I love in chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, uh, Solomon says this, really helpfully, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. <laughs> Thanks, Sol, I appreciate it, it was really helpful. But actually, you think about it, it's because it's quite simple. It's readily available, we just need to ask for it and look for it. It's not difficult to get hold of, God's made it freely available, his wisdom. So we can, three things, we can ask well, ask well, we can receive well, and we can obey well. Ask, receive and obey. First one, ask. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 7 says, be not wise in your own, in your own eyes. Uh, that earlier verse about don't lean on your own understanding, it says don't be wise in your own eyes. The first step is recognising that we don't know it all. But nor do our feelings. Just because something doesn't feel comfortable doesn't mean it's not good for you. Some, just because something feels nice doesn't mean it is good for you. It's the danger, isn't it? Sometimes our emotions are a fearful or a fleshly response. We need to guard our hearts in that, need to be aware of that. Our emotions are not always reliable, so just be very wary of being led by your feelings. So be, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't just follow your gut. Consider it. What, what's, what's happening here? Is this right? It might, it might be. Sometimes we get that piece in us like, no, this is right. But be sure there's other evidence that you're following the right path. But therefore, if we are not the wise ones, then we need to ask for it. We need to find it from somewhere else. We need to seek it from the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon, who was at, he had some bumps along the way, but at the time he was living life God's way. Um, he was asked directly by God, ask for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Now, he could have asked for all the riches in the world. He could have asked for the greatest honour on the planet. He could have asked for his enemies to die, couldn't he? He didn't. He asked for wisdom, and God gave it to him. 
and he's you know, reportedly, evidentially, the wisest man on the planet in history. He received what he asked for. He asked for wisdom, and which is why that last verse I, we had up on the screen, Proverbs 2, verse 6, that the Lord gives wisdom. How can we get wisdom? It's readily available. Same as Solomon, ask God. Which is why James, uh, in the church letters at the end of the Bible, James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Just be actively asking. Don't just go with your gut. Speak to God about it. But of course, we need to receive it well. Asking about it is knowing where to look and where to listen as well. We need to receive it well. Asking isn't just about waiting for God's wisdom to download. Like in the Matrix, I know Kung Fu now. Bzzzt. I can fly a helicopter. Bzzzt. It doesn't work like that. We need to seek him out and have a conversation with him. So obviously through prayer, but looking for his wisdom and absorbing it and dwelling it, it's readily available. It's already provided here in his word. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. I know, it's a I know it's a battle. I get it myself as well. But as we learned last week in the kids' takeover, what were the three images of the Bible we looked at? Descriptions of the Bible. Can you remember what they were? I held them up. Have me objects. What were they? Bread, lamp, and a sword. A bread, a sword, and a lamp. It's, it, the Bible describes itself as bread because it feeds us spiritually. Without it, we waste away and or die. We need our spiritual food. And there's a sword. Not a sword that cuts to hurt, but like a surgeon's scalpel, it knows what's good and knows what's bad and knows what needs cutting out. It's, it's a blade to heal us. It's a sword that heals us. And it's also a lamp. It leads us through dark times. It leads us when we don't know where to go. It's our guide as well. So we just need to be very careful at where we go looking for wisdom. The first portal call, I would say, prayerfully read your Bible. And again, Bob will help us with a fresh way of how to do that contemplatively next week as well where do you go looking for wisdom is it is it worldly wisdom or is it god's wisdom ultimately it's not to say don't ask other people I'm not saying that at all but ask yourself if that person is wise in the first place does their life demonstrate what it means to follow god's wisdom themselves it's quite obvious it becomes quite obvious you'll see the fruit and you'll know if they're a wise person who follows god's wisdom they're the people to ask um it also proves to us the value of church community, doesn't it? Doing it together, learning to increase and become a people who all have the same place we go to for our wisdom. Him, through his scripture, through prayer, together. Let's do it together. And don't, one more thing, just don't just ask a chain of people until you hear what you want to hear. I, I, I do genuinely see that so many times. And it's just like, we do. basically, you're, you're, you've decided what the answer you want it to be is before you've started asking, haven't you? And eventually you're going to find someone who tells you what you want to hear. That's not healthy, is it? And saying that out loud, it sounds unwise, but we can still do it sometimes. And sometimes wise counsel is something you don't want to hear. Doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong, though. Just be careful where you're seeking wisdom and receive it well. And then finally, we do need to do it. We do need to obey, and that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? Isn't that the fun bit? It's one thing to hear and take on board what the wise response is, what the wise choice is, what the right decision to do is. It's one thing to hear that, it's another to do it. People who smoke cigarettes regularly can still know it's really, really bad for them, but they carry on anyway. One thing's wise, one thing's not so wise. Understanding the truth is not the same as living it out loud, is it? 
true wisdom reveals itself in action. And so while James chapter 1 verse 5 that I just read about asking God for wisdom, it promises that when we need wisdom and we ask for it, God will give it, he's faithful in that. But the following verses straight after, verse 6 onwards, they make it quite clear that asking with no real intent um, still means a life that gets knocked sideways all too easily. Let me read it. So that verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But then he continues, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It's like, I'm asking you, but I'm not really going to follow through. God's like, well, why would I give it then? <laughs> really? Asking in faith. It's not trying hard enough to believe it. That's, that's not what it is. It's just a simple trust with an intent to follow through that, gui- that, that guidance, a raw trust that God knows better than you. That's all you're doing. Lord, I'm not, I'm not even convinced of my ability to follow through on this. I'm going to need your help here. Help me, but I need to know what to do, and I need your help and the strength to do it. He does. That's when I go, absolutely, I got you. We need to ask well, we need to receive well, but of course we need to do it. Now, in coming weeks, we'll be looking at the finer details of uh, things like how we manage our time, how we use our words well to, to, um, to bless and to... Um, to benefit others and not to pull them down and to bring wisdom and so on. We'll be learning about patience. We'll be learning about walking through difficult times. We'll be learning about what true reverence is. We'll be learning about um, discernment and so on. We'll be learning about all these kind of things over the coming weeks. Uh, different people will be preaching um, different, different subjects. Uh, but for now, today's core take-home, if there's one thing you take home today, it's this. True wisdom, and what I mean by that is not just learning the facts but knowing what to do with them, and therefore, how to live a life that bears blessing and is not so easily knocked sideways for God's glory. True wisdom, doing that, is found in God himself. First portal call. Where can we find that? Obviously, like I've been talking about prayer and the Bible and so on, but one person in particular, obviously. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says that Christ is in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. That's where we find them. That's God himself revealed through Jesus as the true font of all wisdom. And so Paul says in another letter, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, towards the end, verse 24 and, and 30. Verse 24, it says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God, just revealed out loud. And he says in verse 30, because of him you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Paul, in that letter, he was writing to a Greek audience who loved wisdom. They were obsessed with it. They took great pride in searching for it and believed it came from multiple gods who remained separate and distant. That's where they believed it came from. But Paul showed them that Jesus has become to us true, out loud wisdom from God by proving himself to be the only way to intimacy and right relationship with God in the first place. It's one thing for to follow rules. It's another to walk with the living God who knows what's best for us. Two very different things, isn't it? In him we discover that knowing him brings transformation, which confounds even the wisest of human minds. Turn the other cheek. Really? It's a stupid thing to do. Why not stand your ground and fight? That's the obvious thing to do, isn't it? Turn the other cheek sounds foolish. 
Jesus knows better. Jesus knew better. What about, hang on, giving a sizable portion of your income to the mission? What? Seriously? Well, for example, as a church, this time last year, we had our um, vision for raising money to release Mel and Vanessa into employment to look after our children's and teens and twenties work, didn't we? And at the time, we were running under. We were in the red. We didn't have enough money to pay all the bills effectively in that respect. Um, but we, we were sensing God was calling us to spend more than we should have had when we were in the black. But we sensed God was calling us to step out the boat and, and do this. doesn't sound very worldly wise, does it? sounds dodgy. But we, we listened to God, we were careful, we were behind the scenes, we were all praying about it, we, out loud we prayed about it, and we decided if we can raise enough money for the first year as a seed fund, this time last year, um, we, we'll trust that God will pay for years two, three, four, five, and so on. That's happened before, we're going to do that again. And we raised a collection, and thank you so much for your generosity in that as well. We raised one and a half years worth. Brilliant. Where we are now, six months into employment, well, now eight months into employment, we have enough general income coming in that we can sustain that without relying on the fund that we raised in the first place, praise God. We're way over. God has honoured us stepping out the boat because he called us to do something, and the eyes of the world is foolish. He's proved himself yet again that it was his wisdom behind all that. And now look at us now. We're, 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 we're liquid, we're fluid in money coming in to be able to keep paying the girls without relying. We are using that fund. What you gave your money for is where it's going, don't worry. But we don't need it because God's caught us. It's his wisdom, not worldly wisdom. God's wisdom can often look foolish. Hang on, you believe in a God who let himself be killed. How weak is that? That's what it looks like. Yeah, so weak, he undid the powers of sin and death in that very moment. Thank you. <laughs> Praise God. Not weak at all. It's not foolish at all. Hang, hang on. Just believing in your God and turning to him for your forgiveness is enough to receive eternal security and peace. Really? It's as simple as that. Actually, yeah. By his grace and his goodness, he's made that possible. Nothing we do earns our salvation. Everything he's done has done that. We then learn to live the life in light of it. It looks foolish, but it's not. It's his wisdom. And living out this seemingly foolish way can and does prove to be otherwise. You get the least obvious people quietly making huge impact in their communities because they're following God's way, not man's way. Miraculous breakthroughs in business that can make solicitors or industry leaders scratch their heads. I don't know if you've heard of the, um, the uh, chain of toy stores called The Entertainer, uh, owned by a Christian man who's been going for 30 years or something now. Um, he's always said, I'm not open, even when the law has changed, I'm not opening on, on the Sabbath. I'm not opening on Sunday. A, that's God's wisdom. B, therefore, it helps my staff flourish by having more time off at the weekend with their families and so on. I'm not doing it. Even when that collided with the Christmas Eve. A few years ago, he did the numbers. The Sunday was a Christmas Eve. He said, I'm still not doing it. I'm going to lose two and a half million pounds compared to a normal Christmas Eve takings across the chain. I'm going to lose 2.3 million or whatever it was. He said, but I'm not doing it. I know God's wisdom is better. And that is such a thriving company, even today, they've bought out Early Learning Centre. They own it. Because God's wisdom has honoured him following God's way. That in the eyes of the world, business leaders be like, well, leverage everything you've got, open extra days, get more staff in, all that. He's like, no, I'm not doing it. And God has allowed him to flourish. It's God's wisdom, not worldly wisdom. 
And one more example, broken relationships that get made whole that confound the psychologists or the therapists. These things happen because, all because Jesus' followers chose not to lean on their own understanding, but chose to acknowledge Jesus as their light and their guide. It's as simple as that. There in Jesus is the true source of wisdom, one that is not distant or disconnected, but up close and personal, personal, even physically standing in the gap for us on the cross to bring us back home. Jesus is where life begins, and Jesus is where life blossoms. True wisdom is found in knowing Christ. And therefore, when we look at the rest of our lives, how we manage our time, how we manage our finances, how we do friendships, how we do business, how we do marriage, how we parent, and so on, how we do church even, Keeping Jesus central in all of our decisions and passions and responses and learning along the way, that is where we see his wisdom bringing peace and healing for us and all the glory for him. Amen? Amen. So I just want to pray for us as I finish. Just a couple of questions to ask. You know I love my questions. Just to stir something, let Holy Spirit just raise something. We can do some business with him in prayer. Uh, firstly, where... Where are we leaning on our own understanding? Where are you leaning on your own understanding? I mean, how can you spot that? Here's a good way to spot it. How often do you turn to Scripture when you have a decision to make? This isn't a guilt, pointy finger thing. This is just a genuine, maybe God wants to help us here. How often do you turn to Scripture when you have decisions to make? Or how often does Scripture even spring to mind when circumstances are complicated? What do you do? Where do you turn? Do you just worry in the corner on your own? Or do you turn to him and read his word? Or how soon, therefore, do you pray about a difficult choice or a situation? Is it your first port of call? Is it your last port of call? Does it not happen? There's opportunity there to seek his face, isn't there? How can I know the will of God? It's right here in his word, reading his word. Committing and, and focusing on doing it together in community as well. Let's, let's be on a learning curve, on a learning journey together. We've all got our L plates on, but let's do it together. Let's seek him first. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that we aren't all that, but you absolutely are. We thank you that your, your thoughts are not our thoughts, your ways are not our ways, but they are absolutely the best ones. Lord, help us to trust that all the more. Help us to realize that all the more. We need your help sometimes to open our eyes. We need your help sometimes to, 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 to give us that nudge in the ribs when we're busy looking in the wrong direction or worrying about something on our own in a corner, Lord. Help us to turn to you, but help us to listen. You say that my sheep know my voice. Lord, help us to recognize your voice more quickly in the crowd, in the busyness of life, and the big, loud messages that come throwing at us through media and through other people sometimes. Let us be able to pick out the right frequency to know your voice whispering through that. And that's the way we should go. Oh, Holy Spirit, we need your help to do that. But we do first and foremost recognize you as the font of all wisdom. You're where we need to turn. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for the times. We've got plenty of stories here where your wisdom has proved itself. Lord, may, Lord, may that continue. May there be so many more stories to come where we can go, look what he's done for me. All I did was just follow him. Help us to do that. Help us to hear. Help us to ask. Help us to receive it well. Help us to obey for your glory, the building of your church, and the blessing of those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, David.